Welcome to the first ever episode of our new podcast, Emerge. My name is Tom Neely, Housing Sector Lead at Berwick Partners. Within this podcast series, we aim to discuss some of the key issues facing leaders of today, along with hearing about their personal stories and delving further into their leadership secrets, which I hope will help you on your own journey. Without further ado, I am delighted to be speaking today with Aileen Evans, Chief Executive of Grand Union Housing and the immediate past president of the Chartered Institute of Housing. Within this episode, we explore Aileen's career and what has made her one of the leading figures in housing, along with discussing the need to also prioritise your mental health above anything else. I hope you like this episode, and if you do, please do like and subscribe. Well, Aileen, thank you. Firstly, welcome. And thank you so much for joining us on our first episode of the new Berwick Partners podcast, Emerge. Um, we, we've obviously known each other for, for a number of years now, but for the listeners who don't know you as well as I do, can you give us a brief introduction of yourself and your organisation? So, yeah, so I'm Aileen Evans. Um, I am the chief exec at the rather wonderful Grand Union Housing Group. Um, which is uh, based in uh, Northamptonshire, Buckinghamshire, Bedfordshire. And we've got a um, supported housing on, which I'm really proud of, which comes from Kent up through London to uh, Oxfordshire uh, and ends up in Peterborough, um, which, um, among other things, provides uh, housing for Adult, 600 adults with a learning disability, four domestic abuse services, uh, some dementia support services, mental health work and older people. And as a chief executive in, in what can only be described as a very purpose-driven environment and a purpose-driven sector, what is your why? What, why this sector? Why chief executive of Grand Union? So that's the second time I've been asked that question, actually, very, very recently. And the first time I gave an instant answer and the and actually it's still an instant answer because it's a hate injustice and actually a lack of a lack of somewhere to live that you can afford and have a good life in is unjust. Um, And so for me, um, for me, it is about um, rectifying the wrongs that I see in the world around injustice, inequality, um, and housing, I think, is a great way um, to right some of those uh, wrongs, albeit in in a little way uh, at the moment, until we properly get a national housing policy that's cross-party that will last for the next 30 years. Um, but, you know, we're doing our bit, and for me, it's about, it's about righting those injustices. Lovely. And out of interest, I mean, you're clearly a very successful chief executive in the sector. I mean, can you share with us a bit about your journey and and challenges you've faced along the way to becoming chief executive of Grand Union? Hmm. Um, So I started out life as a trainee um, and we have a very thriving trainee programme and apprentice programme at at Grand Union, because actually if we want to properly grow our... um, our our business with uh, the right sort of people doing the right sort of things, educated and supported in the right way, then actually bringing um, young people uh, into uh, into the business um, 
is is the thing to do. And that's how I started. Um, and we've got some stunning trainees at, uh, at Grand Union. I am so excited at that. And I can look at them one day and think, actually, you'll be a chief exec. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if ever, anybody ever looked at me and thought she'll be a chief exec. But, um, but for me, I started out life as a trainee at Nottingham City Council. So a wonderful man called Arthur Oscroft, um, who uh, championed trainees and apprenticeships. He died very recently. Um, but, you know, he gave me that, that break at Nottingham when it had 47,000 council homes. It doesn't have that many now. But um, so I got a really good grounding and a really good traineeship. And that's what we at Grand Union are trying to give um, other people. And, you know, like, like a lot of other people, we're suffering from labour shortages uh, mm-hmm. at the moment. We just can't get... Um, some people and we're competing with people like Network Rail down here and Santander um, uh, for for some skills and trades uh, trades teams are like hen's teeth at the moment. So so actually growing our own is a really, really sensible thing to do. But growing our own, not necessarily with the expectation that they'll say, stay with Grand Union because I think they will stay with Grand Union. But if we're if people are going out into the world with Grand Union's ethos and training and, <clears throat> and the way Grand Union thinks, then actually we'll have a, a broader influence in the housing sector because but through, the, through the people that have grown up with us. And, and, that, and I see that as a valuable role too. It's not just um, training those individuals for us. It's training those individuals and supporting them in the right way to make sure that they go on to do um, good jobs in the sector. So I started in that way. And then um, I moved from Nottingham, uh, where they had teams of people to do things, to North East Derbyshire, where they didn't have very many many people at all. And so I ended up doing a sort of a whole, one of those brilliant sets of jobs and experiences where you kind of do all sorts of things. Um, and that was a great learning experience with a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant boss I called Bill Best who was just, well, he said, you can do that, you can do that better than most people I know. And so, so that belief in me, and again, that's something we've tried to replicate at, at Grand Union, is that absolute belief um, in people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I'm, I often get asked, well, you know, did you face any challenges because you were female? And in all honesty, probably not many. I mean, there were... There was sexism, and still is sexism. You know, you would go into a site, come into a nude calendar, or, you know, you would get the butt of sexist jokes, or you would get, um, uh, you know, the tea-making and note-taking stuff. But but generally speaking, I mean, I'm quite, you know, I'm quite forthright. And if I didn't feel I should be doing something... Um, just because somebody had asked me to do it because I was a woman, I, I didn't do it. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So there, there was a bit. There was a bit of that. But I, I do not think, and I'm, and other women haven't been so fortunate as me because I think there are women in the sector who have been held back um, because they are female, um, and. Uh, I, I don't think I have been held back, but I have put up with a bit of rubbish along the way. I think, I think as a sector, we are getting better. 
Um, I think just for, even from a construction perspective, kind of looking on various websites, you've never seen so many female site managers, female apprenticeship, which is fantastic. But what, as a sector, what, what can we do more to, to increase the diversity of, of talent pools? So for me, it's we, we've we've just done our belonging strategy at uh, Grand Union, and um, our belonging is our diversity strategy, and and belonging is key. So diversity counts numbers. We're very fond of counting numbers and saying, oh, we've got eighteen percent of this and twenty percent of that and four percent of this, and we need another few percent on that. That it actually isn't the stuff that makes organisations diverse. Organisations are diverse when people feel they belong. Um, And so if we want truly to create properly inclusive cultures, people of whatever background and whatever upbringing have to be able to feel that they can properly be themselves at work. And my job as as a chief exec is to create a culture where people can properly be themselves at work and can properly belong. I can't, I can't agree anymore. And, and you just mentioned some of the people there that taught you some of the skills and, and kind of mentored you through there, Arthur and Bill, and, and also some of the challenges that you, you unfortunately experienced becoming chief executive. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in some of those things that you said, Aileen. Do, do you think that's now shaped the way that you lead Grand Union? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. No, but but we are all a product of our past. You know, I had free school meals and my dad was a striking minor. Um, and that's where the desire to to um, to try and make the world a little bit more equal comes from. So so it was kind of well before those experiences that shaped me. Um, and so uh, there's room for everybody, but it is about creating an environment which makes which means that we can all bring our our best and that is really properly understanding um uh, that that is really understanding what people need um and what people want and how that you know it's the Maya Angelou quote isn't it is people will forget what you did they'll forget what you said but you will they'll never forget how you make them feel and for me how we how we create a culture helps people feel that they belong, both as, as our customers and as our colleagues, that, that's, what, that's what we are trying to achieve at Grand Union. It's lovely to hear. And you talk about creating environments. The last 18 months has been challenging for us all. How do you think your leadership style has changed over the past 18 months? Do you know what? That's interesting. And Because we held an away day. I wanted to learn the lessons from lockdown. Um and think about what we might do differently and think about the way we were. And actually uh, we became a more directive because people kind of wanted some certainty. And so we're naturally a very collaborative organization, but in circumstances where you, where there is, there is apprehension and worry and fear, then what my job is and the job of our leadership team is to create certainty. And so that was what we did was we created certainty and we created certainty by being, by being a bit more directive. And now we recognize that what we need to do is less of that to go back to our um, collaborative way of working um, because, because we've, we've 
dealt with the crisis as best we can and we will um and we you know we need to go back back to the way that feels right for us we're not a naturally directive organization we're quite a democratic and collaborative organization but in a vacuum people will either not do anything at all because they're frightened of doing the wrong thing or they um they'll make it up and so what we needed to do was to create certainty and that meant that we were more directive than we would like um but we we know that and we are uh, intentionally now returning to the way we we naturally work at, at Grand Union. And given this do you, do you feel like your relationship has changed with the organisation over the last 18 months? Do you know, it's been really difficult to keep a handle on stuff that's going on. And I felt a bit distanced and remote from it at times. And you know the sort of person I am. That's not the way I like to be. And so that means you you have to have different skills. So, for example, um, uh, rather than have meetings with people, I'll, I'll, if I'm in the office and I have been into the office um, and I'm going in more recently, but, but um, I have been into the office and, and I'll say, right, I'm going for a walk. Does anybody want to come for a walk? Because you couldn't sit in a meeting room because you were needing to be socially distanced. It felt really odd sitting in the same um, office building and having a meeting with people over Teams, but we could go for a walk. So, so you have to make an effort to do things differently. And I'm, you know, I'm a how are you sort of person, you know, so how are you? How are you today? What's going on for you? Um, and so I've had to, because I can't say that face to face, I've been typing it in into messaging and uh, um, WhatsApp and on emails and how are you doing? And, and then really listening for the answer and, you know, doing it over Teams and Skype and all the rest of it. So... So yes, it has. It's been really difficult. It's brought a bit of distance, and I don't like the distance. And so, I'm thinking even now. I'm going out to see some new developments this afternoon because that's a way that I can uh, both um, get, get a sense of what we've achieved during um, the pandemic, but also spend some time with the development team. Really interesting. Really interesting. And, and- you say there it's been and it has been a challenging 12 to 18 months but along with your role as chief executive of Grand Union you've also just finished your tenure as president of the Chartered Institute of Housing tell us how was this what did you learn and and why did you also choose Mind as your charity partner so so um that's that's a really good question so so I'd I'd thought I, I didn't plan a presidential year talking about mental health with the knowledge that we would have a pandemic. Um, but goodness me, how how appropriate that that's what we have talked about because actually it has been, um, I, I think it has been uppermost in organisations' uh, minds. And if it's not uppermost in organisations' minds, it ought to be um, because you know, particularly with the recruitment and retention crisis, along with bringing uh, young people um, into our businesses, we need to support them in the right way and taking care of their mental health is vital. So I've had my own mental health challenges. I've been very open about that. My husband and and family and and father um, also experienced mental health um, challenges, so quite severe ones. And so it was part of that stuff that shaped me. Um, 
And uh, so that was the driver um, for the campaign. But you know what I thought, because the CIH has got a branch in Hong Kong, it's got one in China, it's got one in Canada. I thought I'd get a bit of traveling and all the rest of it. Well, I went to the I went to Scotland, which was the last thing I did at the end of February 2020. And then I've run the rest of the presidency from my kitchen table. Um listening to my neighbour with his flaming chainsaw. There can't be anything left to chop down in his in his garden. Um uh, and experiencing my own uh, mental health challenges and then having to think about how I was going to keep myself mentally well and take some of the advice actually that I've doled out to others over the years so so yeah it, I mean it was different in a way though I probably got more done uh, <clears throat> and because I wasn't traveling um, so I was able to do two or three presentations in a, in a day and because you know people on teams and you can on uh, you come with um, uh, going to places. Then I was, I was able to do, um, uh, you know, I was able to do more of that. The posh frocks I'd bought in anticipation of mid-pack presidential year didn't get worn. So actually, I think I'm going to probably sell some of those and donate the money to mine because I think that's what will probably be an appropriate thing to do. Um, and uh, and yeah, so. So it's been odd. It's been strange. I've probably got more done and I've got more done to a more willing audience because I've been doing it in a pandemic. Um, and I, you know what? It's been fun. It's been challenging. It's been trying at times. Um, but, but I wouldn't have swapped the experience for the world. I think it's been brilliant and a bit knackering, actually. So so there's a bit of relief when I'm thinking it's bad. That I can, you know, just get back and do one job now. Get back, get back into to Grand Union, which I'm sure you were anyway. But I, I think, and something that we've discussed previously, Aileen, is that everyone experiences mental health, and whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. Um, what support are you putting forward at Grand Union for people to deal with their mental health? But also, uh, what culture are you trying to drive to allow this to happen? I got an email from one of my colleagues um, who started with us in lockdown, actually, somebody in our comms team. Quite a, So a, a young woman who um, had had her mental health challenges, uh, had had time off work with stress, and she participates in a study for one of the universities that has been tracking mental health throughout the pandemic. And she said I just wanted to send you this because this is my latest contribution to the study um, and, and I thought you would like to see that I know I can completely be myself and that has what and that has driven really positive mental health for me that I know I won't be judged that I know I'll be supported that I know I can ask for help so so we've done lots of stuff around mental health champions. Of course, we've done men's mental health, uh, work around the menopause. We've done um, uh, fun. So, so we had a, we we created a fun team at the start of the pandemic because actually people needed to have a laugh. One of our um, most used discussion boards is pictures of people's pets in various poses um 
we have uh, checked in on people. Uh, we were really concerned about people who lived alone. And so we've checked in on people and, um, and, and supported them in that way. Uh, we, um, yeah, so we've just tried to create a really open culture. The one thing that we did do, one of the things that drives poor mental health is, um, is money or lack of it. And so we partner now, and we did this at the start of lockdown, we partner with an organisation called CFED, the Centre for Financial Education, um, who provide um, finance advice. Um, so we have a benefits and money advice team that supports our customers. And we, we live in an area of high housing costs. And so... Um, some of what it was driving staff's mental health was issues around money. And we're good payers. It's not that, you know, we, 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 we're not, um, this wasn't because we were trying to employ people cheaply. It's just that there's a, a rate for the job, probably plus a bit, which is what we pay. Um, but that's still not enough sometimes to, so CFED um, has, helped people with their finances quite considerably. That's really interesting. You mentioned there, and it's been quite interesting regarding culture, and you seem like you really want to embed a culture of openness for everyone to discuss this and be, be comfortable at discussing their, their mental health. How are you and your leaders embedding a culture of openness to support this, particularly given that we're working and have been working in a um, agile environment for the past yeah. And, and will do moving forward i mean we are we are open as people mm. um we are um we, we are you know we'll, we'll have a, a laugh we are approachable we have a laugh and a joke with people um you know i i talk about my family other people talk about their family it's the stuff that that helps people see you as human beings and not the boss um so, so if you want to see that behaviour in an organisation, you have to model it yourself. Um, and so we have been modelling that. But also we've done things like live Q&A. Um, so, uh, you know, ask us anything. Um, so we've put ourselves on the spot, which has been a bit rude at times. But, but the, I think the business has really appreciated the fact that we have been as open as we clearly there's stuff that, you know, you, you can and, and, and can't say. Um, but we've never told lies. If we can't say something, we would say, actually, I can't talk about that just at this moment, but that will become clear in. Um, so we've never told lies. We've treated people like adults. We've been candid when we can say things and we've been equally candid when we can't. And I think it's that that drives a culture of trust where and then when we, you know, when we were in a position to say something about something that we that was planned that we weren't ready to, to discuss you know people have people have seen that we've said oh they you know they said they would come and tell us that and they have done um regular and open comms in a very friendly human tone of voice not all um not all formal and um so you know treated people like like humans um, and, and grown-ups, and, and I do videos every now and then about eating too much cheese and my neighbour with his flaming chainsaw. Um, 
think, you know, it's all to encourage that we're all, we are all in this together and we will help you if you need it. We don't make people talk about their mental health at Grand Union, but we, but there is an open culture if people want to. And so it's that that we've sought to do, really. But also it's the power of authenticity, isn't it? You, you being open, talking about it so openly and, and kind of doing the Q&As, it's, it's the power of authenticity. I think that's key to drive that openness uh, within the culture as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm the best person at being me. And so, you know, to quote Dolly Parton, find out who you are and do more of it. And that's all I've been doing is being myself and that and the people around me have been themselves too. Um because I actually don't know any other way to be. And, and I don't think they do either. Because once you create that, you can't go back to a closed environment where you can't be yourself. And so, so, um, so yeah, if, if, I, if I can be myself and express my frustrations or difficulties or whatever, then that gives, um, that gives uh, mission to other people to do the same. Absolutely fantastic. And, and final question for, from me, Aileen, before we get on to the, the quickfire questions. I mean, <laughs> as you look forward and, and come out of this pandemic, um, what, what do you see the opportunities being for the housing sector, but also for leaders to really embrace? Um, so I think one of the things that the housing se- sector has to embrace properly is that our customers are customers of other organisations and the insight that those organisations collect on them enables, uh, not collect on them, but the data, not the, mm-hmm. um, that sounds terribly big brotherish and I don't mean that at all, um, but, uh, but that insight drives those commercial organisations business and if we want to get properly listening to people and making sure that we adapt and change and provide um, good services, then we have to stop thinking we're different and that um, consultation is influences uh, and influences people sitting in a room talking about stuff. Actually, we need to, we need to embrace some of the commercial, um, the commercial abilities uh, that are that are out there that will give us much better insight and and the ability to um, uh, the the ability to um, positively uh, impact on our customers' lives in the same you know that the retail sector and the banking sector do it because it makes good business sense for them. Would you know it makes good business sense for us because we'll be better landlords um, if we. Uh, if we model our services on the things that uh, a broad number of people want, not just those who will sit in a room and talk to you. So, so I think we're on that journey about, you know, thinking about customer behavior and, and uh, insight. And, um, you know, obvious challenges aren't there around um, building safety and um, uh, carbon reduction. Um, how do we build the number of homes that we need? How do we charge a reasonable rent for those? I'm not one of those people who thinks that we should max the rent uh, to, um, you know, way over um, LHA caps in order to generate the capacity for new building, because that's like saying to people in A&E, well, come on, give us some money because I've got some more people outside on trolleys and they need to come in. You know, expecting expecting people who 
uh, don't have massive incomes to subsidise housing for more people who doesn't have massive don't have massive incomes is a really flawed housing system, and we've got to we've got to sort that out. Um, and then you know it would be it would be ducking the issue if I didn't mention property condition, the ITV campaign. And the loss of trust in the sector. Actually, we have to be better landlords. We have to um, su support um, people in properties as well as thinking about thinking about everything from a property lens. We have to be more honest, and we have to rebuild trust. So it's not much, is it? But actually, that's what we're, that's what we'll be on with. And what we like to do, and what we are going to do, given that you are. Our first interviewee on this podcast is is talk is give you some quick fire questions if that's okay. Um, so no pressure, uh, but I'll, I'll kick off and say what what has been the most valuable leadership lesson you've learned? Be yourself. Everybody else is taken. Be yourself. Very nice. And what advice would you give to an aspiring leader starting out on their journey? Uh, make sure your ladder's up against the right wall. Um, you know, if you're in the wrong job and you know it's not right and it doesn't feel right, then don't do it. So find the wall that you can put your ladder up and properly be yourself and contribute. Absolutely love that. What, what do you believe to be the key leadership qualities required in today's world? Um, flexibility, the ability to listen, the ability to be yourself, um, the, uh, the ability to, there's all this talk about thinking outside the box. Um, but the ability to create diverse organisations where you can look at things through a range of perspectives because then you'll make better decisions. Lovely. Final question. One book recommendation you would give to the listeners? Oh, goodness. Do you know what? This is really hard because I read all the time. I'm just finishing the um, Inspector Montalbano series, which is a series of 27 books. The 28th is due out this year. Um, but the uh, but the one the one book I have most enjoyed, and I don't know that you could definitely get it now, um, uh, is a book called The Twenty Seventh Kingdom by Alice Thomas. Alice is quite old now, uh, but if you want a book uh, that you um, that you can get hold of, a leadership book, I would recommend. So I know this is more than one, but you know me, I always push the boundaries. Um, leadership book I would recommend. Um, is some habits of highly effective people because actually there's just some great flipping straightforward advice in that and the book the leadership book I'm reading at the moment is uh, Radical Candor um, and I can't remember the name of the author but, that, that, but that's, that's really good as well it's really straightforward um, sorry I've taken a bit of a liberty there don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. No, that's absolutely fantastic and, and brilliant. And what, well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today, Aileen. I, I genuinely can't thank you enough for your time and insights. And, uh, and as always, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you as well. It's a pleasure, Tom. It's an absolute pleasure. And, and anytime, anytime, happily. Thank you for listening to Emerge Leadership Lessons from Berry Partners. If you enjoy listening to this episode, please like, rate and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening.